Our mission is pretty clear. We want to provide the very best breeding stock to our customers so that they can grow chickens to feed people. Safe, affordable, abundant protein, and that's it. You know, we won't, and we want to be the very, very, of course, like anybody would tell you, we want to be the best at it. Um, but that is what we do, and that's what we will do. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic podcast. I have with me today Mark DeBeer, president of Aviagen North America. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. And Mark, you have such an interesting career. You're from South Africa. Uh, You came to the University of Arkansas and you got a PhD in animal nutrition. You went to work for Aviagen back in 2008, and then you went to DSM, Alonco, and you moved up the ranks in Alonco fairly quickly, and now you're president of Aviagen North America. So let's start our conversation by talking about Aviagen. What, What do they do? Sure. Yeah, Avigen is a is a company in, in the industry. We, we we call ourselves a primary breeder. So if uh, if you're buying chicken to eat from someone, we're the guys who supply the breeding stock to the people you buy your chicken from. Right? So uh, what we do, really, the core of what we do is genetics. We're we're trying to select the very best of all of our lambs, uh, put them together, and ultimately create the breeding stock that gets gets bought by our customers. That then produces the the chicken that you eat. So yeah, we're we're a breeding company, a genetics company at our core. Yeah. How did you get interested in animal science and animal nutrition? What I know that's what brought you to the United States, but where does your interest stem from? Sure. You know, I grew up uh, on the east coast of South Africa. We uh, we grew up in a in a fairly rural area along the east coast. Lots of sugarcane. Um, but, you know, we were always sort of exposed to the natural world and I was fascinated with wild animals. You know, we were, we were lucky to be in an area where, um, you know, there was lots of wild animals, all the traditional stuff you see with the African game. Um, and so actually I, I ultimately studied animal science because I wanted to become a game ranger. Um, and I wanted to, to learn about uh, leopards and lions and elephants. And after a little while in, in, in university, I, I had the courage eventually to ask one of our professors when we might start learning about, you know, lions and leopards and the like. And uh, I basically got the, the surprise to find out that animal science is really production agriculture, right? And so uh, my interest really was in wild animals. Um, and then uh, after spending a little while in, in college, realized, well, I'm, I'm actually studying agriculture and production. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I had started, I kind of enjoyed it. And got into the nutrition side of it. It just, it was, it was a discipline that, that interested me, I guess, more than some of the others. And so, yeah, so it was uh, actually a, a, a little bit of uh, ignorance, I guess, that got me into, into the, the, the area. Yeah. After you went to work for Aviagen, by the way, where's Aviagen out of? What, where's the uh, headquarters? Our global headquarters are in Huntsville, Alabama. That's North Alabama. Yeah. And what types of livestock do you focus on? At Avigen, it's exclusively poultry, right? So we're focused on, uh, we have a, a broiler breeding business. So those are chickens, you know, so we're producing, again, the, uh, the breeding stock that ultimately produces the chicken you eat. And then uh, 
We also have a div division that focuses on turkeys. And so we have uh, Avigen turkeys, which, uh, um, you know, of course, they do the same type of work, the genetic selection, et cetera, to, to produce the turkey that goes into the, into the market. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. The turkey, is, is most of the turkey consumed in North America or is it, because I know, you know, we lived in China for a while and it was not easy to find turkey at, uh, at any time there. Yeah, Turkey is definitely a, a US-dominated phenomenon, right? There's definitely pockets of, of uh, Turkey consumption around the world, but uh, the US is for sure the, the, the majority of the Turkey market around the world. So it's a far less global business, I guess, than the chicken business, which obviously is uh, essentially ubiquitous now around the world that you have chicken, local chicken industries, uh, but Turkey is definitely more... Uh, localized certainly in the US and obviously we have uh, turkey sandwiches which is a, a big driver and then of course Thanksgiving as you know which which is a uh, a huge driver of, of demand for turkey in the US yeah but you're focused on the breeding stock both for chicken and turkey correct well, the company is I, I myself focus uh, my my part of the business is exclusively focused on the chicken side yeah so how how does that i would think that there wouldn't be a lot of difference between the the breeding um, chickens and the others. What what is the difference there? Yeah, you, I think you'd you'd be surprised at the at the level of diversity in the gene pool, right? It, it's really fascinating. We've got, uh, of course, a whole host of lines, you know, which are you know we have pure lines, which which have kind of you've know, been perpetuated through through a long period of time, um, and within those lines, you know, there's there's traits or characteristics. That we can measure and select for, um, and there's there's still a lot of genetic variation um, within those lines, and so you can find uh, you know individuals who are you know uniquely competent in certain traits, um, and then select obviously you know ideally more and more of those individuals depending what you're looking for. So of course because we're growing chickens, you know we're, we're looking for birds that are efficient, we're looking for birds that are strong, have very healthy immune systems, can you know, managed in difficult conditions. So there's, there's a whole host of traits. Um, but yeah, you, you, they might, a lot of them might look the same to the untrained eye, um, but the rate at which they grow and eat, the degree to which they feather, these kind of, there's a whole host of things, uh, probably, you know, approaching 50 different things that we're measuring very, very accurately and trying to, uh, again, combine those traits and find that the best, you know, the individuals who have the best overall breeding value within a given line. So, do you have, I would guess you've got a lot of um, expertise in your company around genetics, probably. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. And I would think, I, I had seen a presentation on genetics in chicken, uh, or just in general, but they used chicken as an example uh, a few years ago. And it was quite interesting. Um you know, this presentation uh, made by a company that does genetics for mm -hmm. for chicken. I can't remember. I think they're in Northwest Arkansas, actually. Yeah, but most likely is uh, Cobb. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, they're based out of Northwest Arkansas. That would, Cobb would be our primary competitor. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have a great idea then of what you do. But they showed a presentation where they showed what chicken looked like I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, oh, yeah. and the evolution of the, the chicken. 
um, over that time, and it was it was really interesting. Fascinating how they've how they've been selected, and uh, yeah, the, the, just the, of course you know you get a picture of a bird that you know comes from genetic stock that's 50 or 60 or 70 years that it's gone unselected. Yeah, you're going to see really meaningful differences in that individual relative to its peers from today. Absolutely. Well, in this picture, um, they had like a they had like on one side a picture of the chicken standing there, and then yeah. how much feed it took them next to it to get to wherever it was ready and then they had one today so the chicken on the left was smaller but had a bigger pile of food it was pretty interesting yeah i mean that's been a huge part of the progress right finding uh, finding individuals or families that are very efficient at converting feed into meat because ultimately that's what our industry does right we we take different plant proteins, grains, and other goodies, and, and uh, you know, run them through a chicken that, that then converts that into a, uh, you know, an attractive protein for humans to consume. So that's, but the efficiency with which they do that is one of the biggest drivers of obviously profitability, but, you know, you sort of got the knock-on effects of, you know, what that does to utilization of resources, right? If it takes a lot less to do what we used to do, and we get more out of it, then obviously we're, we're kind of contributing to doing things more efficiently and sustainably as well. So, yeah, it's 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 remarkable when you see it visually, visually like that. Uh, the impact of of 50, 60, 70 years of selection—it's it's stunning what's what's been achieved. Yeah. So, as president, um, you you know obviously you have a PhD, you understand science well, but now you're president, so you're having to lead the company. You're having to. Um, set the direction of the company, get people aligned, motivate people, invent a path forward, solve problems, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's a big shift, you know, really basically for you from your PhD till now, you know, we're talking what, 15 years. About 15 years, yeah. So you've had to go from scientist to leader, manager. How has that transition been? Has it been challenging for you, or what do you um, say? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question. I, you know, I um, you know, part of the story starts with where I fell into the science of it by mistake, like I described in the beginning, right? So I wasn't uh, I, I I came to be very passionate about it and I love it, but but it wasn't necessarily you know where I wanted to be in my whole career. So I think it was within a, a week of starting at at Aviagen, I sort of naively told my boss that although you've hired me as a nutritionist, I really hope I'm not a nutritionist 10 years from now. And uh, I kind of, you know, made that 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 happen. You know, I was when I when I left Aviagen, I went into a marketing role at uh, at DSM, and that was kind of the first step, you know, evolving into a more general management or business management type role. So, yeah, it's it, you know, to the question of whether it's been challenging, for sure. I think it's uh, but it's a lot of fun, right? You're learning all the time and kind of seeing things and. I'm, I'm fortunate, I guess, to, to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to, to uh, wonder a little bit about, uh, you know, what it would take to do something different. And, um, you know, when I, when I took on a, a broader business management role at DSM, um, I had to obviously, I interviewed with the board over in Switzerland and uh, my, my boss at that time suggested I, I, you know, brush up my understanding of finance a little bit, which was very good advice considering I had very little understanding of it. And so just started reading books and, you know, on the plane over for my interview, reading finance for dummies, at least trying to get some of the terminology down. 
Um, so yeah, I, I guess just a uh, you know, curiosity for learning and um, so yeah, it's been challenging, but it's been fun, right? You get to see a you know more broadly look at the business as opposed purely from a, a scientific perspective. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I like and, and probably why I've gravitated a little bit in that direction. I would imagine in your organization, you're also having to lead a lot of scientists. Is that right? Sure. Yep. Yep. We have a lot of technically minded people for sure. Yep. So what do you see as um, the biggest challenges for a technical company like yours going forward? And specifically, one of the things I'd like to ask you about is artificial intelligence, not just our particularly generative AI, because, you know, there, we're finding uh, applications of generative AI in computer programming and sure. marketing and all areas of business. So yeah. how about your business? How do you see generative AI having an impact, if at all? Sure. Yeah. You know, we, we uh, obviously, you know, the, the, I guess the whole world is sort of recognizing and, and learning and adapting to, to not, not just AI, but a whole host of different technologies that, that are emerging. Um, and, you know, obviously we're also at the front end, like probably most um, sort of non, you know, people who aren't in the midst of developing it. I think the rest of us all feel like we're learning on the fly a little bit. I think there's a, there's a lot of things that, that humans do um, that become very repetitive, and I'm not I'm not uh, suggesting those are the only things, um, but you know just observing. You know we 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 of course of course in order to produce our product, we have a a large number of flocks of birds that, you know historically people you know husbandry was was based on a lot of observation, right? Spending a lot of time watching animals, understanding their behavior, seeing their habits, how environmental factors uh, impact them, um, doing it over the amount of time and the scale that we do it at, um, it's become more and more difficult to get human beings who can have that level of, of detail and continued focus so that our husbandry is, is as effective as it always has been. So there's an area, for example, where, you know, with computer vision, we can observe behaviors at a large scale over extended periods of time that can inform us about many things as it relates to the flock and the flock health, flock behavior, fertility, you know, interactions between individuals, welfare. Um, so th there's one example, I think, of, uh, of, of how we could use that, and which we are, we're actively doing that right now, including, you know, visual monitoring, but sound monitoring. Um, and, you know, again, having a human being sit there observing these things is uh, incredibly inefficient and not nearly as accurate as what a machine can do it, right? And we're learning that pretty quickly. Um, I think learning the the, the full-scale application of that, we're, we're getting there, right? I, I think it would be premature to suggest we've, we've sort of said, well, great, we've turned over entire functions. Um, but that, that's an area where I think we can be a lot more effective. And then one I'm, I'm you know, personally fascinated by is planning, right? Because when you've got a biological product, a live product, um, we're not just talking about a perishable product, we're talking about a living animal that we're potentially shipping across the world. You know, we could be shipping they all chicks to China, we could be shipping them down, you know, essentially across the world. Um, our ability to plan and, and make the most efficient supply chain possible when you've got a whole host of variable biological inputs, um, it's extremely difficult for, for a group of humans to do it. Um, and so maybe that's an area as well where, where we uh, could benefit a lot from, from 
essentially having it done by a machine with with the right inputs and and learning along the way. Right? So again, we're at the the front end of that. I know that um, your mission, uh, the mission of the company, is to ensure that the company it, it, it's about um, having food on every table. Yep. How do you how do you make sure your company stays focused on that mission and doesn't get sidetracked by things that come along? So we, we have a, a few things. Our, our owners, we, we were owned by a, a family. The, the Eric Westerhan and his family own our company. Um, and one thing that our owners, I think, have been exceptional at is ensuring focus. So it's very tempting when you have a, a strong company like ours and you have, you know, we, we're in a very strong position um, and we work with a lot of customers and there's a lot of adjacent you know, opportunities that, that come along and can be very distracting. They can be very lucrative or very interesting. Um, they've done an exceptional job of, of saying Aviagen will focus on broiler breeding and genetics. You know, if there's interest because we have a customer who has nutritional needs or vaccine needs or diagnostic needs, et cetera, we might ultimately enter into that, but it will be through a separate entity. It won't be through Avigen. So we've, uh, we, we've been very, very focused and I, and I don't think, um, you know, whether we tried or not, our owners, I think are, are pretty disciplined about making sure we stay focused on that. So our mission is pretty clear. We want to provide the very best breeding stock to our customers so that they can grow chickens to feed people, safe, affordable, abundant protein, and that's it. You know, we won't, and we want to be the very, very, of course, like anybody would tell you, we want to be the best at it. Um, but that is what we do, and that's what we will do. We we will not deviate from that. So um, it's not hard to stay focused in, in our in our world. It won't take long to to get uh, redirected if we if we get off track. Yeah. What are some current trends or challenges in the poultry breeding industry, and how are you staying ahead of these changes to remain competitive? So obviously the, the, the issues that our industry faces are the ones that are most interesting to us, right? So we're, we're trying to ensure that whatever we send our customer gives them the best chance to succeed. Um, important to realize, and I, and I don't have a picture for you, but it'd be good if I had a picture to show you, our most valuable, you know, the, the pedigree level, our very, very best birds, their offspring will eventually reach the market somewhere between four and five years from now. So all of the decisions we're making the selections, the genetic progress we make, you know, once we've made those selections at the pedigree level, we've essentially locked in what's coming for the next four to five years, right? So we, we, we do spend a lot of time thinking about what the sort of the medium term future holds. And we, we get a lot of time from our customers and we, we and so, you know, things that, that obviously efficiency and the ability to produce is always, you know, produce efficiently is always going to be a challenge. So you know, commodity prices of, you know, the input costs of our customers are very high. Meat prices today are not super high. Um, they've been pretty volatile. Um, so those things will always be big drivers. Those are sort of foundational drivers of our customers' business, and we won't lose focus on those. Um, something very topical right now, and, and it's, it's, it's virtually a global phenomenon at this point, is uh, avian influenza. Um, and so, you know, there's probably, you know, people in the United States would have picked up on that in the context of egg prices, you know, looking at the cost of, a, of an egg in a grocery store. Um, and so we've had a, a sort of an ongoing avian influenza challenge. Europe has been particularly hard hit by that. Um, and then, of course, here in the U.S., we've also had our challenges. So and many countries around the world, for that matter. 
as a breeding, there's export limitations if you if you run into AI or avian influenza in a particular area. Um, it, it creates export limitations. It creates uh, you know other challenges for the business. So redundancy and security of supply is a huge part of of our sort of you know challenge looking forward. You know how do our customers feel certain they can get our products, whatever the disease challenges might be in a given part of the world. So that'd be a big one. Um, and obviously we do that through biosecurity through you know, redundant supply bases. Hopefully we can have, you know, if one place gets locked down, we've got somewhere else to bring birds from. Um, so those those be big. And then I think, yeah, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, well, I don't even know if it's a buzzword anymore, but our customers are challenged more and more, I think, with uh, questions about their sustainability initiatives, their footprint. You know, I, we've done a lot of work. Being more efficient inherently helps you be more sustainable, right? So um, but we've also got a lot of work going on on how we ourselves can be more more efficient and sustainable and then sort of pass that on to our customers down the road. That's terrific. Well, Mark, thank you so much um, for joining us today. And also, congratulations on your remarkable career. Very impressive. Thank you. Much appreciated. Enjoyed being here. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C. 